0: Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Malakith to my boar, Steve. Welcome back, sir.
1: You got a nice cornrows action going on. You are kind of like it.
0: You are bore. <laughs> no, I'm. Oh, I'm, I'm No, no, I'm bored You're Malakith. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm the guy with the cornrows and the pointy ears.
0: You get, you get to be, you get to show up throughout the entire movie, and I have to show up in the first three seconds and go away.
1: Yeah, I'm a South Pole elf. <laughs>
0: Well, this week we're tackling the second movie in the Thor franchise, the much maligned second movie, uh, and the eighth in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor The Dark World. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email me at movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at slash movieplanetpod, Twitter and Instagram at movieplanetpod. On the show, we will be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon. The comic book Movie Planet Pantheon is comprised of seven, and only seven, films in order to be conducted it's got to be reviewed by us so don't sit there saying but you left this up well we haven't reviewed it yet mother <laughs> okay so they are number one deadpool now i got a question my number two is iron man our number three is the dark knight number four is batman begins number five is Marvel's the avengers number six is captain america the first avenger and number seven is thor the original thor so, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be stand there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it down on its butt from the preserve in the future. So, we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. Well, this is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2013's Thor The Dark World, it's best if you stop right here. Watch the movie. You might be surprised. And then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But, let's get into this thing. This week, we are discussing... 2013's Thor: The Dark World, a movie made for one hundred seventy million dollars that brought in six hundred forty-four point five million worldwide. Ooh, that's a that's that's a, that's a bit that's quite the bit less from Iron Man three.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, then that one that one crossed the that, that, that one brought in like one
0: yeah brought in like one point two billion.
1: Okay, that's right. Yeah, but for some reason when you read that number, I was like, dang, that still seems pretty high. It's high for a movie. But yeah.
0: Marvel keeps raising the bar on itself. But this is what's interesting: it's written by Christopher Yost, Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, Don Payne, and Robert Rodat, five writers.
1: Oh uh, well, okay. Yeah, I, always like <laughs> I always get nervous when it's more than two. one film like
0: that. I always get nervous when it's more than two. Produced by Kevin Feige, the great and powerful Kevin Feige, and directed by Alan Taylor, uh, starring Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Mr. Abs, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Anthony Hopkins as Odin, Christopher Eccleston as Malekith, Jamie Alexander as Sif, Zachary Levi as Shazam! Oh wait, no, 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 wrong movie. Uh, he's Fandral.
1: Oh. I didn't even notice that.
0: <laughs> Ray Stevenson as Volstagg, Tadanabu Asano as Hogan, Idris Elba as Heimdall, Rene Russo as Frigga, Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis, Stellan Skarsgård as the naked Eric Selvig, Chris Evans as Loki's fake Captain America, and Stanley as a patient in a mental ward.
1: <laughs> Can I get my shoe back?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into the making of this movie. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys! Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. In April 2011, before the release of Thor, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige states that following the Avengers, Thor was going to have an adventure doing his own thing. Now the director of the first Thor is kind of surprised by this, saying he kind of wants to wait until the first Thor is released before even thinking about signing on for a second one. I mean, if you're Kenneth Branagh, you kind of want to wait to see what happens. After all, if it doesn't hit, you don't want to be locked into a sequel. Well, Kevin Feige hears about this and says that Marvel Studios would gauge how well Thor did at the box office before announcing sequels, but stated that Don Payne was working on different ideas for the story if Thor 2 was going to happen and left the door open for Kenneth Branagh to return if he so desired. Two months later, Walt Disney Studios sets a July 26, 2013 release date for the Thor sequel, with Chris Hemsworth reprising his role as the title hero. At the same time, it's announced that Kenneth Branagh would not be returning, but he could be involved in a producing role, much like Jon Favreau was for Iron Man 3. Now, what happened to Branagh? Well, the Los Angeles Times cited the long commitment necessary for a special effects heavy epic and the pressure to start the script process right away as reasons for Branagh's departure. So, the following day after Branagh leaves, Marvel Marvel formally hires Don Payne, one of the credited writers of the first film to script the sequel. In August, director Brian Kirk enters early negotiations to become director of the Thor sequel. This film would have actually marked Kirk's first time directing a big-budget motion picture after having only directed television series for HBO, Showtime, and the BBC, one of which is Game of Thrones. However, he would end up passing up on the project after negotiations completely failed. So, September 2011, Tom Hiddleston confirms he's going to return to the sequel. Director Patty Jenkins now famous for her DC film, Wonder Woman, which would come out six years later, entered early negotiations with Marvel Studios and Disney to direct the film. And October 13th, 2011, Marvel comes out and confirms Patty Jenkins is our lady. She's gonna direct the sequel, and Natalie Portman is gonna return also to star. So Disney then hears about this and they go, you know what, let's move the release date for the film from July to November 15th, 2013, which is four months later than originally expected. I'm pretty sure Kenneth Branagh would have liked those four months also, and may have returned for those. Now in December 2011, Patty Jenkins leaves the project. She cites creative differences as the reason to go, which in other words means Marvel wanted the story to go one way, and Jenkins wanted it to go a different way. According to sources, Jenkins had intended to create a film based on the premise of Romeo and Juliet, where Jane was stuck on Earth, with Thor forbidden to come save her. After Thor eventually does travel to Earth, he and Jane would have discovered that Malekith was hiding the dark energy inside of Earth because he knows that Odin doesn't care about Earth, and so he's using Odin's disinterest in Earth to trick him. Ah, The movie that might have been, okay, well, After Jenkins leaves, three days later, the search for a new director begins, and by the end of the month of December, Alan Taylor, who's best known for directing episodes of, guess what, Game of Thrones, is chosen to direct the sequel. They keep going to the Game of Thrones well. Clearly, they're looking for something here. On January 10th, a month later, Marvel Studios hires screenwriter Robert Rodette to rewrite the sequel that Don Payne had written. Five or four months after that, Mads Mikkelsen began talks to play one of the villains in the film, and Anthony Hopkins, who played Odin in the first film, committed to returning to the sequel. By June 2012, much of the film's first supporting cast was confirmed to return. Idris Elba, Jamie Alexander, Ray Stevenson, Stellan Skarsgård. Also in June, Joshua Dallas announced that he would not be reprising the role of Fandral. Dallas had initially intended to return, but had to bow out due to his commitment on the television show, Once Upon a Time. And Zachary Levi, who once spurned the role of role to play his role in Chuck, is cast back in his place. Levi originally was up for the film, but because of Chuck, was forced out. So these guys, just they just love their TV shows. And Zachary Levi, I think after seeing what happened with the MCU after that, was like, I'm not passing out on this opportunity again if it shows up again on my doorstep. So July 2012 comes along, Mickelson, who was gonna be in the movie as a villain, states that he can't appear in the sequel because of prior commitments, which was the TV show Hannibal. Which is cool anyway, because he'll eventually return to the MCU in Doctor Strange, but that's still a ways away. So, in the middle of uh, uh, summer of 2012, San Diego Comic-Con International, it's announced that the film would be titled Thor The Dark World, and in August that year, Christopher Christopher Eccleston enters final negotiations to play Malekith with the film scheduled to shoot in Iceland where Taylor shot parts of guess Game of Thrones a month later Kat Dennings is uh, is hired to reprise her role as Darcy Lewis and after the film is done filming after the film we're going into post-production here July 2013 Dennings tells reporters that the film was about to head into reshoots in August Alan Taylor said he shot extra scenes with Hiddleston and was about to shoot more with Hopkins. Taylor explained that it was all a part of the Marvel process, saying, quote, "...we're doing full scenes, scenes that were not in the movie before. We're adding scenes, creating scenes, writing scenes for the first time." The one involving Loki was a fun, connective scene. We realized how well Loki was working in the movie, and we wanted to do more with him. So it was that kind of thing. It was like, oh, we could do this. We could jam this in here, because he's such a wonderful guy to watch his stuff. End quote. Alan Taylor said that Marvel's The Avengers writer and director Joss Whedon rewrote several scenes in the film, explaining, quote, Joss came in to save our lives a couple of times we had a major scene that was not working on the page at all in London, and he basically got airlifted in, like a SWAT team or something. He came down, rewrote the scene, and before he got back to his plane, I sort of grabbed him and said, and this scene, and this scene? And he rewrote two other scenes that I thought had problems." End quote. In November 2013, Feige states that the film was intended to be the conclusion of the Loki trilogy, which examined the relationship of Thor and Loki throughout Thor the Avengers and this film. So yeah, for Loki, so Loki's trilogy is Thor, the Avengers, and Thor the Dark World. All right, Steve, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What'd you think?
1: Um, I never saw it in the theaters. Uh, I think initially I saw this was the continuation of my Joe journey.
0: Uh, <laughs> the, the, which will constantly so, be referred to as the Joe journey.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah. That, I'm going to make that, you know, it's a, thing. a staple now. It's it, it's a thing. It's the Joe journey. So thank you for that. <laughs> all that. What was the first time you saw it?
0: Uh, I, I, I saw it in theaters because at this point I'm knee deep in the universe now. I'm like, okay, if Marvel puts a movie out, I'm going to go see it. I was really underwhelmed. I, I, I actually thought this was, this movie was a step back from Thor. I was also very high on Iron Man 3, which came out a few months beforehand. And so when I saw this, I was like, whoa, whoa. What, what the hell did I just watch? Because none of it made any sense.
1: Yeah, I was the same way when I first saw it after because that's when I started watching it in order and I was just like, eh. it would, yeah, it was a step back to me, I thought.
0: Yeah, well, okay, let's start walking through this movie with a synopsis courtesy of the people at the Mar- Marvel Wiki page, the IMDb and Wikipedia. So cue the clip.
2: It's impossible. The infection, it's defending.
1: Oh. it's defending itself.
2: Come with me. There are relics that predate the universe itself. What lies within her appears to be one of them. Nine realms are not eternal. They had a dawn as they will have a dusk. But before that dawn, the dark forces, dark elves, reigned absolute and unchallenged. Born of eternal night, the dark elves come to steal away the light. I knew these stories. Mother told them to us as children. The leader, Malekith, made a weapon out of that darkness, and it was called the Aether. While the other relics often appear as stones, the Aether is fluid and ever-changing. It changes matter into dark matter. It seeks out host bodies, drawing strength from their life force. Malekith sought to use the Ether's power to return the universe to one of darkness. But after eternities of bloodshed, my father Bor finally triumphed, ushering in a peace that lasted thousands of years. What happened? He killed them all. Are you certain? And the ether was said to have been destroyed with them, and yet here it is. The Dark Elves are dead.
1: Does your book happen
2: to mention how to get it out of me? No. It does
0: not. In the distant past, a cosmic event known as the Convergence occurs, opening portals between the Nine Realms. A sinister race called the Dark Elves attempts to use the Convergence as a way of unleashing the Aether, a force of destruction with the capability of destroying the entire galaxy. The exact origin of the Aether is unknown, but it is known that it is one of six powerful objects that predate the universe itself. The leader of the Dark Elves, Malekith, nearly succeeds in using the Aether to cause the instantaneous destruction of the Nine Realms, under the misguided belief that he can recreate them in his own image. He is opposed by Bor, the then King of Asgard and the father of Odin, who uses the Bifrost to rip the Aether from Malekith's grasp, just as he attempted to enact his plan, robbing the Dark Elves of their most potent weapon. Driven back to their home world, it becomes apparent that the Dark Elves cannot defeat the Asgardians and are all but wiped out in the battle. While the Asgardians, unable to destroy the Aether, seal it away in a place it can never be found, Malekith, his Lieutenant Algrim, and various survivors manage to escape into suspended animation, vowing to one day return and finish their plan. Holy hell, that's a lot of exposition, Steve. Clearly this is going to be a theme with all Thor movies.
1: Yeah, well, I, first off, I want to say kudos to you for the pronunciation of some of these words. <laughs> like Schmarfelhelm, I, I don't even know if, that says, if that's how you pronounce it. Wow, that was just kudos to you first off. Um, yeah, it's actually kind of interesting when you're reading that where we, I kind of have a little problem Yes. with the exact origin of the ether. We don't know anything about it or anything else, or we don't even learn anything more from the from the rest of the film. How it came to be is it just like, you know, created in the universe. I don't know. Maybe I ha- maybe that bothered me just a little bit. It probably shouldn't, but it does a little bit. I think it was really smart that they went back to the old Anthony Hopkins narration mm-hmm. because man, the guy is just, every time I hear him, it's very Lord of the Rings. Like,
0: yes, I, uh, uh, it's great. The ether is they say it's one of six powerful objects. They so we know those are the infinity stones in hindsight. And we don't really know the origin of the other ones. So why does it matter here?
1: I guess so. We really don't know the origins of any of them really do we?
0: No, we just know that we know we learn from Doctor Strange. Pro, Doctor Strange tells us probably the best like the best reason for why they exist, which is the universe split into six singularities.
1: That's right. He does explain that. Okay, yeah. and says so that's the MacGuffin.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. The ether in this movie isn't; it's the plot device that moves everything along. I got a question for you. If Thor is called Thor, Odin's son because he's Odin's son, does that mean that Odin is Odin Borson because he's Borson?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's just being silly. It's, I don't know. I mean.
0: <laughs> mr borson
1: <laughs> mr borson yeah uh
0: my, uh my beef with the ether is it's a force of destruction with the capability of destroying the entire galaxy but we know the ether is the reality stone and it just alters reality
1: yeah that was true and i think i'll talk about that a little bit later yeah i'll save that okay so, um i did think that this was one of the uh, the backstory mm-hmm. of this whole like introduction i don't know how long it goes on before you see the Thor, the Dark World, like the intro, yeah. but uh, it's it's easy to follow story that just sets up the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think Thor was like, too. It's a very, very easy setup. Yeah. Again, it's a narration.
0: 5,000 years later, sometime after the Chitauri invasion, Loki is brought before Odin in shackles. The Allfather gives Loki a life sentence in prison for his crimes against humanity. Okay, so... This is t- this movie's taking place right after Avengers. Got it. Timeline confirmed. But holy hell, Odin is quite the
1: d- here. Yeah, he picked up. Well, his character stays the same, you know. In Thor one, he was a harsh ruler. He banned Thor mm-hmm. for going against him and going to um, Jotunheim. Was it correct? Yep. And um, kind of taking his so self righteousness and his clan to go destroy them. And he banished him from Asgard. Yes. Which, granted, I think is a lot worse than just being, okay, we're going to, then what Loki got, you're going to be on Asgard, but you're going to be a prison. Yes, they're kind of one and the same. But I think Thor got the worst of it, though. But, eh, he's consistent, you know? He, he doesn't mess with anything. He's a tyrant.
0: Right, but he also co- contradicts himself, because Loki says, are we not gods? And he goes, we're no different than humans. We, we're we born, we live, we die. And Loki's like, yeah, give or take 5,000 years. That's but later true. on, when he attacks, when, when Jane Foster comes after him, he's like, no, 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 we're well above you.
1: Well, I mean... Yeah, they are because they can live a heck of a lot longer. So I guess to humans, they're considered gods. But to themselves, they just think that they're, I mean, if you're a god, you're immortal. At least least, I would think in my eyes. And if you have, if there's some kind of finiteness to your life, Mm -hmm. then you're not all godlike, I guess. I don't know.
0: My favorite line. I was going to say, my favorite line from this entire scene is Odin yelling at him, "Your birthright! Was to die.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he kind of (laughs) emphasizes his consonants there. Yeah, it's always like (laughs) the weird ones. You're like, birthright, ta. That's
0: just goofy. Okay, well, meanwhile, in Vanaheim, home of the Veneer, Thor, alongside warriors Fandral, Volstag, Hogan, and Sith, fights against the Marauders, a ragtag group of invaders that have been systematically terrorizing the Nine Realms for the past two years. The Asgardians win the battle, and while Hogan remains on Vanaheim to help his people rebuild, Thor and his friends return to Asgard via the Bifrost Bridge, which was repaired by the power of the Tesseract. Well, that's good to know.
1: Yeah. How does the Tesseract build something? Because I thought that was just kind of, you know, your space time. Right. Oh, I shouldn't say time. It was just like your, um, I don't know, your your space bus. You yeah. know, takes you from point A to point B. So how does it repair something?
0: Yeah, I don't. And you know what? That's an IMDb add-in. Sometimes they add those things in just to kind of explain things here and there that aren't actually in the movie because they never actually say or, say it was repaired by the Tesseract.
1: No, I just thought it was just, you know, all right. Uh, Hemdall kind of took over, hired some guys and just slowly rebuilt it, put some scaffolding around there and took care of business. That's yeah. just, that was, I guess, a kind of the thing I think I mentioned. Okay, I guess the Bifrost is back at it again.
0: And so, and so. once again, at the beginning of a movie of Thor, you have him and his warriors and Sif fighting people. I love how everyone's got a warlike weapon, except Fandral, who's got a fencing sword. <laughs>
1: Yeah. The weapons was the first thing that stuck off of me. Yeah, you got all these war weapons and then some of the enemies they got like these rocket launchers. I'm You're just re- like, huh.
0: This is very masters of the universe like.
1: Whoa, it very is.
0: Uh we could see a rock monster, which is, you know, later on we find is hey, that could be a relative of Korg.
1: Dude, that would be so sweet. What if you found that out like in like some like deleted scene or some uh
0: Oh the um, one shots?
1: Yes, what if they did something for something like that? That would be really Um, cool. And then find out that Korg has a little grudge against Thor because of that.
0: Yeah. And that being said, it is kind of cool to see other realms besides Midgard and Asgard. Like, we knew that there were nine, but we've only seen two. This one we're going to see basically all of them.
1: Yeah, that's really neat. And last thing I really liked in this was, and it made me think about all the movies that Thor's in. Uh-huh. He is he, He's just the one who knows how to make an entrance. Yes, he is. <laughs> he has the most epic, you know, when he went to Jotunheim, when he, you know, comes down on, again, I know I'm not supposed to see Infinity War or anything like that, but I'll tell you, that entrance will bring me to tears on how <laughs> he does that. And, and this one here, it's just like, the guy knows how to make an entrance.
0: Yeah. Sweet yeah as i'm watching this my first thought is really like wow loki really screwed things up by challenging midgard because now it seems like everybody wants a piece of their own realm
1: yeah (laughs) like
0: he did that and all nine realms went bat crazy (laughs) okay a party is held in celebration for thor's victory but he leaves quickly he visits heimdall daily asking each time how jane foster is faring Odin clearly does not approve of Thor's affections for Foster as she will be dead long before him. And the celebration is interesting because there's a deleted scene that actually extends one of those Manchash pieces, which is them all drinking and Volstagg is telling the story and he slams the beer on the ground. In the deleted scene, you see everybody grab their drink and slam it to the ground. And Vol- so Volstagg slams it, everybody slams it, they all cheer. Thor takes a moment to look at his mug and then he just gently places it back on the table kind of thing he learned from the first Thor like you don't need to do this to say that you enjoy something
1: yeah it really humbled him in his time on earth and I think this is uh another just way of showing the audience that he's still thinking about Jane
0: yeah and you know what's funny is it's a small moment that most people overlook they would never notice it
1: oh yeah well I must I'm lucky to have one of the few because I'll tell you it it stood out for me that you know he's still reminiscing and Jane a
0: lot. Yeah. So uh, this, th- th- this moment is what I use to refer back to when I'm talking about the infinity stones. Also when he's talking to Heimdall, cause Heimdall literally says he can see all 10 trillion souls. Then they do a close up of his eyes, which are orange. Just seems like it would have been fitting to have one of those eyes actually be the soul stone. That would have been fantastic. Yeah,
1: uh, it does. That sounds so much better than, I don't know. The we sacrifice. We're, we're, I mean, other than we know from Infinity War that, you know, Red Skull's holding it or whatever. Spoiler alert. This is a spoiler-rich podcast. Oh, yes. Um,
0: <laughs> but how cool. Huh, first of all, the gauntlet is already awesome. Can we agree? Yes. What if one of the stones was an eyeball? Well,
1: Yeah. See, he, he, not,
0: now it's a bad gauntlet.
1: Now it's even better. Marvel, please. Call my buddy <laughs> Joe. Okay. Sign him up.
0: Disney would have never have signed off on that. <laughs> just five stones and a bloody eyeball
1: (laughs) You can make it a glass kind of pretty looking eyeball jeez
0: yeah odin is still a in this scene but my highlight really is lady sif because you can tell lady sif's got the feels for thor and this is this this should be a problem later and it's not
1: yeah it's funny how you think this you know this is the biggest thing that you caught from this scene i kind of completely forgot about this until i read your notes it i kind of just glazed over the whole thing because I knew what Thor's relationship was with Jane, so I thought, well, I guess she's the odd girl out, I guess. So I thought, I always just looked at her as just like a really good friend. So, but but apparently she does have the feels for her. She's so hot, Steve. I'll tell you, Asgard, when they did like that montage coming in before they're at the bar scene, is still heaven like. I think it even (sighs) just looks better than from the first film. I'm going to say it rivals Minas Tirith, you know, (gasps) because. Yes, because, you know, I, it's funny because when I was looking up because I wanted to know the pronunciation, I don't even know if I got that right or how to spell it. It looks like, you know, the white city. It looked really nice, but it was just kind of this little niche thing. You know, I almost want to, you know what? Check that. I think in, in any realm in Middle Earth, Asgard is better.
0: I have to agree. It's beautiful.
1: <laughs> and, and you know, um,
0: and also, I got to say th- you get to see more of Asgard in this movie than you did in the last one. You get to see like the bowels of Asgard.
1: Yeah, you get to see, like, you know, those epic waterfalls. You get to see, like, a lot of, I shouldn't say real landscape because it's all, like, palace type. But the, like, little vegetation that they put in there, it just looks absolutely gorgeous. This film, to me, it felt like it picked up right after Thor than it really did the Avengers. Now, I know that they mentioned New York at one point, and you can kind of see that he feels for Jane. Mm -hmm. But I think that was the thing that got me. It felt right after Thor than really New York and what happened. You know, they just talk about New York and kind of what happened. They didn't really talk about the aftermath, which is why I probably liked Iron Man three, that part a little bit better because you can tell it affected somebody.
0: The funny thing about this is that we know this takes place right after Avengers because Loki is going in front of Odin for the first time in shackles. Yeah. But then they say it's been two years since then. And the timeline issues. This is what happens when you have five writers on this, is you get the little details mixed up. Mm-hmm. So that that was something that I definitely affected my grade, if you will, because if you can't tell me okay. when the hell this is ta- when this is taking, it's going to be awfully hard for me to place why I should care. Yeah, I agree. Back on Earth, Jane Foster is in London having been called there by Dr. Eric Selvig to investigate readings of unknown nature. After having not heard from Thor for some time, she goes on a date with a man called Richard Madison. Their date is quickly interrupted by Darcy Lewis, who grabs some bread and explains that Foster's scientific equipment has been picking up strange signals, signals that have not been detected since the events that took place in New Mexico two years prior. First off, this this poor guy gets a date with Jane Foster and within minutes it's interrupted. And you know he seemed like a decent fellow too. What a nice guy.
1: Yeah, I got a question. I've had my hand raised. I know you can't see, but I have a question about this. <laughs> yeah. You you um as you're reading this, you actually mentioned his full name, which means that his full name was probably mentioned somewhere. It is. Now, now that we're about eight movies deep, there's all these little details. Is there anything that I need to know about Richard Madison, or is he just? Joe Blow in
0: this case. Uh, In this case, I'd say he's just Joe Blow, only because he's never referenced ever again.
1: Okay, so I'm willing to guess that the whole point of this scene was just to kind of show that she's trying to move on but can't.
0: I mean, you've got a computer in front of you. Check out Richard Madison Marvel and just see if it shows up.
1: Yeah, I guess so.
0: Yeah. Uh, we get we get Darcy. Darcy's back. And you know what I like about her? She's not over the top, which is a sequel issue sometimes. She's still the same level of Darcy as before, and I kind of like that.
1: Yeah, Darcy is a good add to all of these uh, people, you know, between Eric. Well, I don't know. Eric's changed a little bit, too. Um, <laughs> He's had a god in his like, head. <laughs> yeah. She is like the uh, Darcy is the yin to Jane Foster's yang, or vice versa. Yeah. They're like complete opposites because Jane's all serious. And then Darcy kind of levels her out. You know, she calls everything out like how it is, and, that's and it, why she's great.
0: And it appears like it's more of a friendship than an internship now.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: They get in a car where Lewis's own intern, Ian Boothby, is waiting for them and drive to where the signal is the highest and end up at an abandoned storage house. They find that a number of portals have opened, linking the Earth to several different worlds and altering the laws of physics, causing gravity to shift without warning. While Lewis and Boothby continue to play around with the portals, Foster is swallowed up by one of them and transported to an unknown planet. She finds herself in a dark chasm where a strange vault is located. Upon touching the vault, a red substance, the ether, emerges from it and infests her body. Passing out, Foster is teleported back to Earth, waking up five hours later. She walks outside where Lewis and Boothby have been waiting. I'm just calling them Darcy and Ian at this point. The police had been called there by Darcy and consequently attempt to arrest the three of them for trespassing on property, private property. A policeman tries to touch Foster, but the ether forces him away. Thor suddenly arrives, seeking to investigate Foster's well-being, as Heimdall lost sight of her after she disappeared. While overjoyed to see him, Foster slaps Thor in the face for taking two years to visit her, even though he was on Earth during the Battle of New York. Thor apologizes to her, but then takes her to Asgard to investigate the nature of the ether.
1: Okay, so my one thing is that uh, I, I like the fact that when he shows up, it's like raining, (laughs) <laughs> and then it's not raining over Darcy and Jane yeah. or Thor. But as soon as Jane leaves, <laughs> uh, Darcy just gets drenched on. It's just like, really? <laughs> you know, and I think it's I think it's great, you know, that he can uh, kind of control all that. He can control the storm.
0: Yeah.
1: Kind of like, uh, you know, and then he can turn it off too, like he can break the storm. Oh, I like see where you're Storm going. breaker. Oh, look
0: at you. Look at you tying <laughs> together.
1: I know that was fun. <laughs> My question was: is yes. that this is at this, this abandoned warehouse? Yeah. Okay. So, why was Jane Foster sucked into this? Could it have been anybody else at random? Yes. Did it happen to just be her? Okay because I just thought that was just, like, a little unique. So um, what do you think? Did you like the whole scene inside of the, uh, the storage house?
0: Yeah, you know, I really like the kids playing with the portals because I can totally see that happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the fact that Darcy has an intern, because <laughs> you know he's not learning anything.
1: <laughs> oh, the intern's intern. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: when and Here's the thing. When Jane Foster goes off on her own, my first concern when she gets sucked in is, You mean to tell me the kids have never been up here before? Because if they were, we got a big problem on our hands.
1: Yeah, see, that's exactly what I was kind of referring to.
0: Yeah, Uh, Jane Foster, you know, she gets the ether in her and she takes it pretty well. I mean, she just, you know, knocks her out. But uh, that ether, when she wakes up, I'm sorry, IMDB and Wikipedia, it did not just force the cop away. It blew his back along with three other cops.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was... um... It catapulted everybody pretty far. Yeah.
0: Man, so. I also love that Thor shows up not just with lightning, but piggybacking off what you said, he can also control the rain too. I mean, he's basically Storm from the X Men.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really is. Yeah. Um, one thing that I had I struggled with, and then as I was reading this, I kind of fixed my own logic was: okay, if you get transformed into this magic portal somewhere and you see all of this uniqueness around you, this dark you know, crepid like little container or temple holding this red fluid. Would you go up there and touch it? it's just like, you don't know anything about this. But then, you know, I'm like, I had a huge problem with that. Okay. Then I thought, she's a scientist. She is always questioning everything. And she doesn't probably steer away from anything like that. So she probably wanted to learn more about it because that's the scientist in her.
0: Well, it reminds me of Incredible Hulk, actually, when they see Dr. the the Mr. Blue or whatever it is. Yeah. And he says, I've always been more curious than cautious. And that that's Jane right there. You know, ooh, what's this red fluid? It must be. Maybe it's Kool-Aid. I don't know.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, that's what you know, that's what I was thinking. She's the scientist. She's got the scientist kind of mentality. So she tends to, like, try to solve and says, what the heck is this? You know, yeah. get as many questions as answered as possible. So, yeah. And she doesn't actually she
0: doesn't she doesn't like reach in or anything. It reaches out to her.
1: Yeah, that's true. She kind of just kind of puts a finger on it, and then it kind of attaches to her.
0: Yeah. Once in Asgard, Heimdall greets them, but Jane Foster is quickly taken to the healing chamber so that they can learn what's wrong with her. They find the ether in her body, but they don't know what it is. A physician called Eir tries to remove the ether from Foster, but completely fails. Odin, furious that a human has entered Asgard, orders for her to be taken back to Earth, but when a guard touches her wrist, the ether reacts defensively, just as it did with the police. Odin, recognizing the Aether, tells Foster of its many possible origins using the book of Yggdrasil and how the Dark Elves nearly used it to destroy the realms. While Odin works to find a way to remove the Aether without killing Foster, Frigga befriends her. Frigga has secretly been attempting to convey her disappointment to Loki regarding his actions, but he has rebuffed her every single time. And look again, it's Odin being a dick again. But we get our first mention of the Infinity Stones here. Woo
1: woo Yeah. Yeah, that was really, really cool to hear that whole backstory. And, and I, like.
0: And I love how he ahead. says there were five stones and one liquid.
1: Yeah, he sets up the Infinity Stones, kind of people thinking about it. So, yeah,
0: it's uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that Foster's got a friend in Asgard because it seems like everybody else is a bitch to her.
1: That's how great, you know, Frigga is, you know, Thor's mom, you yeah. know, like, He brings the new lady in and automatically, you know, doesn't have any. She's like the least judgmental person in in all of Asgard. It was interesting to see the deleted scene there between Thor and Frigga, how how you have listed. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that?
0: Oh, yeah. In the deleted scenes, you actually find out that the reason why Loki can do the things he can do is because Frigga, who was raised by witches, has taught him magic in order to compensate from what Thor is. And, And It's kind of funny because this should have been in the movie since its magic plays a magnificent role in this whole story.
1: Yeah, because I remember talking to you right after I watched this. I'm just like, man, when did Loki become a force user? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's like, how the heck did he like learn all that? And then after kind of we had that conversation, I just went back and watched the deleted scenes. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes a lot more sense. So I agree that maybe should have been in the film. Right, right, right. Anything for you? The scene with Thor and Foster (laughs) looked exactly like the Lake House scene from Attack of the Clones with Anakin and Padme. You cannot sit there and look at that scene and not agree with that. It's
0: acted so much better, though.
1: I agree.
0: Like you can (laughs) tell, Alan Taylor can direct Portman in somebody, but George Lucas can't direct Portman in somebody.
1: (laughs) No, it's just, uh, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, there's a lake house scene on Naboo. I know this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was harsh. Oh, wow. (laughs) I won't be able to unsee that now. Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. Meanwhile, alerted by Foster's use of the Aether, Malekith and his ilk awake from their long sleep. Consumed with vengeance and eager to procure the ether to once again transform the universe into darkness, the Dark Elves plotted their next offensive against Asgard. Under Malekith's orders, Algrim allows himself to be captured by the Asgardians while in disguise as a marauder. And, using vile technology turns himself into the cursed a super powered warrior that the dark elves used frequently in their war against the Asgardians. He frees all the prisoners except Loki and they start a prison riot, distracting the Asgardians so that Malekith can lead his squadron of ships into Asgard with little opposition. A battle takes place during which the palace is breached and heavily damaged. Skeletor runs away. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong movie. Frigga, (laughs) having suspected the diversion, lures Malekith into a duel by creating a holographic replica of Foster. Frigga nearly succeeds in besting Malekith, but the cursed intervenes and mortally wounds her when she refuses to give up Foster and the Aether's location. In retaliation, an enraged Thor disfigures Malekith's face with a bolt of lightning, forcing the Dark Elves to retreat. And Frigga then dies from her injury. I... Love that Frigga steps up to protect Jane.
1: Yeah, well, she knows how important she is. She knows that the ether is a super powerful thing. So, did she really step up to protect Jane, or did she really just step up to protect the ether?
0: Well, I'm going to say Jane, only because one, she she's always been for Thor, following his heart. But also, they they they've they've bonded.
1: Yeah, and I guess in a little time, I guess that they have a little bit. So. Yeah, uh,
0: the the battle. I'm sorry, though. It, there's times when I hear actually the same sound effects as Star Wars. <laughs> like, I hear sound effects from Phantom Menace, and I'm like, oh, God, you couldn't have gotten different ones. But then I'm like, there's points where I'm like, I feel like I'm watching the first five minutes of Masters of the Universe also.
1: See, you're slowly getting on board. No. You're slowly getting on board.
0: This is why I have a problem with the scene. <laughs> I mean, really, um, Asgard? The elves got in way too easy. I expected yeah. more from this amazing city.
1: Yeah, it, I did have some issues with it, too. The first thing I thought... Actually, I thought it was neat, the fact that Hemdal takes out one ship by himself. With a knife! I'm like, with a knife, exactly. <laughs> but then you see all of the other ships going through, blasting through turrets, yeah. blasting through buildings, and there's no disfiguration or no destruction on these ships. I'm like, time out. I got a question. <laughs> I was just like, that just doesn't seem right. Um but I really did like the new uh, tool that they use, those are those new weapons, those little gravity bombs. Yes. Those are really cool because they were really different. And I'm glad um, you just didn't see it once. Yeah, um, you kind of right. saw it a couple other times throughout the music. Or well, throughout the movie, sorry.
0: We also see that very same bomb in a different Marvel movie. Do you know which one?
1: Negative, Ghost Rider, but I am listening.
0: Guardians of the Galaxy. Because Peter see, Quill has the gravity bombs. I like it. Yeah, a frigga's death. I, I I think it was really well done. What do you think?
1: Well, hold on. I need some. I need some tissue. Oh, oh, oh. I, I, I can hear the music in the background, oh. which was completely epic. I yes, think it, it, it's definitely in my top three. I felt the loss not only through the music, but through everything on scene. They took time to mourn her and for the whole funeral scene. Mm-hmm. It was. Absolutely unreal. And actually I was listening to that music on the uh when I had to go out and get some coffee. I was in like my Avengers mode and I went to Thor the Dark World and um one of those uh that song was starred and I was just like, Oh okay, let me listen to this. I'm just like <sighs> it yeah. was so sad. But yeah. it is so epic on her whole funeral scene. Joe, what did you think of it?
0: You know, the funeral for Frigga and the dead as guardians, it's it's kind of cool because you can tell that the Asgardians have a ritual. And my, what I think is a really cool part is when you see Frigga's boat about to leave the edge of the ocean, Odin stomps on his uh, staff and the, the, her boat continues off into space and then evaporates into stars. And I'm like, wow, that is really, really smart. The funeral is later held for the deadest guardians in Frigga and a grief-stricken Odin has Jane Foster imprisoned. Thor knows that Malekith will return for Foster, but Odin, blinded by hate and grief, refuses to release her. So Thor comes up with a plan to move her, even though he would be committing treason. With Heimdall distracting Odin from them, Thor has Loki freed from his cell, as Loki knows of secret portals that could transport Foster to another world, drawing Malekith away from Asgard. With help from Sif, Fandral, and Volstagg, Thor, Foster, and Loki hijack a downed dark elf ship and make their way out of Asgard into a hidden portal that teleports them to, them to uh, Svartalfheim. As they make their escape, however, Foster's body is slowly being infested by the ether, draining her of life. Wow. Odin's been doing this for a long time and you'd think that he would see how his plan is ridiculous? Oh, well, let's just stay put on our defenseless Asgard. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs>
1: Yeah, Odin's plan, it's okay. I mean, I understand it. It's just it's gonna be costly to his men, and it's definitely the less riskier play than Thor's. Yes. Thor's plan, you know, coming up with it on the fly like that, is really legit. And obviously when you hear both of them, you know which way it's gonna go. Right. Um, but The one thing before we even talk about this, there was a deleted scene. I'm listening. You know, when I was watching that and it was Jane before she's, you know, detained is like messing around with all the computer analytics that they have there. (laughs) And she mentions the ether or something. And it almost seemed like, and this is when I really hated Odin. Um, it almost seemed like we were gonna get that she was gonna really explain the ether and what it does, yeah. and then all of a sudden, Odin's guards come in and says, "Nope, she needs to be detained." I'm like, "Oh, it was right there!"
0: Right, a tease, if I, you will.
1: <laughs> it was, and I. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I, did, I didn't like that.
0: Here's the thing: we really don't know what the ether is truly until the mid-credit scene of this movie. Yes. So we'll 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 get to that in a second, but. I um, one of the things that I love about this is this movie turns from an action adventure slash romance into Oceans Eleven. <laughs> like they all sit around a table explaining what they're going to do in the plan, and then you see the plan f- uh, come to fruition as he's explaining it to everybody. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. It's very heist like. I love his conversation with Loki. Uh, like you know, you must be truly desperate. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And you're like, oh, you're gonna let this guy out? Even the curse knew not to let this guy out. Jesus.
1: Yeah, um, it's a classic sibling rivalry, yes. and um, when they're—I uh, don't know if we talked about it when they when they leave yet. When he's uh, on the, that I don't know whether it's a yeah. boat or a plane or something like that. He's trying to do it. He just—it's a classic sibling rivalry. That's like the little brother is annoying and the annoying little co-pilot that says, "No, you should turn here. No, you should go do it." And he says, "Are you driving? You want to drive?" Like yeah. That. yeah. You know, it's just it goes to, it
0: really goes to show that Tom Hiddleston as a villain is probably the most beloved villain ever. Yes. Uh Sif's clearly not happy with Jane duty.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. She's yeah, it's it's that little extra grudge. Oh, it's the other girl who's not there. Yeah. Um I loved the um the walking through the Palestine when they're changing forms. Joe, tell me about that.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> just just watching him turn in first of all he turns into just a regular guard and you're like okay that was cute then he turns thor into sif and he's like you look a ravish <laughs> and he goes it'd be it'd be no less attractive when i kick your butt in this form also and then he turns into captain america and my theater went bananas when this happened it was hysterical i can feel the righteousness god bless america
1: (laughs) Ooh, what if they would have done when they turns into lady sif if uh, one of them turned, if Thor turned into Sif and she, and Loki turned into Foster. Would <laughs> be oh.
0: amazing? Oh my God, yes. Oh. <laughs> the
1: combinations
0: oh. we could come up that with for Loki would've... and Thor.
1: Yes. Oh.
0: Sif that and Foster. Really yep. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Only other thing I want to say here is that everyone is threatening Loki here, but that kind of seems like the opposite thing that you'd actually want to do if you're putting your trust in the guy.
1: Yeah, but he's just done so, so, so much damage to everybody and what he's done so far. its You're really going out on a limb for this guy. You're really sticking your neck on it. It's just like you just want to reiterate that, you know what? You better not screw this up. Oh, what? Let me guess. You'll kill me? Yeah. Get in line.
0: Evidently, there'll be a line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the trio lands in the wastelands of Shrachtelheim, and by then, Foster's body has completely channeled the ether, enhancing her perceptions but weakening her physically. Malaketh senses the ether's transfer and confronts the trio on Shrachtelheim. And at the moment, please stop. Make me stop saying this. Okay. <laughs> At that moment, Loki appears to betray Thor, cutting off his hand and giving Foster to Malekith willingly. Loki tells Malekith that in return for the Aether, he wants a front row seat to watch Asgard's destruction. Malekith then proceeds to drain the ether from Foster's body and into himself. But Loki's betrayal is revealed to be ha-ha, a ruse. Fool you! And, <laughs> and Thor's injury is revealed to have been nothing more than a holographic project- projection meant to lull Malekith into a false sense of security. Calling for Mjolnir, Thor de- tries to destroy the ether but fails as it is indestructible. Curse then battles Thor while Malekith and his minions leave the planet, and Curse quickly gains the upper hand against Th- Thor. Loki comes to Thor's aid, stabbing Curse through the chest with his sword. But this has no effect on the Cursed, who seizes Loki and drives the sword into his own body. Loki manages to press one of Curse's implosion bombs, however, and sets it off, destroying Curse. Loki then apologizes to Thor for his actions and seems to die in his arms. And honestly, when I first saw this, I thought, Loki, you're dead. At least your last actions were honorable. And then you sly
1: bastard. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you one hundred and ten percent. I thought Loki was done the first time. I was just like, oh, real I mean, Valiant Death, mm-hmm. you know, kinda confess to, you know, all the things that he's done and apologize, you know, to his brother, which you can see from when they kind of busted him out of his little prison cell all the way to here that they were kind of working on the same. They were working on the same page, and they were starting to like each other. Kind of getting down to, you know, yes, you might really hate your brother, but deep down inside, you really love him. Yes. So you kind of, um, you kind of saw that arc per se for uh, Loki. But it, yeah, it was just to me when I thought, yeah, I kind of rebutted exactly what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, I said it was a disappointing end to such a great character. But I guess, you know, now that I think about it, it actually. If if he was, that was his end. It was actually a really good because he had a nice arc to it. Yeah. Um, the execution of the plan, um, <laughs> it had me fooled as all heck. Um, <laughs> what did you think about it the first time you saw it?
0: I I loved it when I first saw the plan. I was like, this is fantastic. When they cut, first of all, when they cut off his hand, I mean, I was like, oh my god, are they gonna like fit him with like a Jamie Lannister hand? Yes. I mean, and then when the hologram comes back, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. And then you see the sword go through the cursed, and the cursed turns to Loki and shoves Loki onto his own sword. And I'm like, what a way to go.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it was pretty epic. Uh,
0: Um, Watching Malekith, though, taking the ether from Jane Foster is haunting. I mean, it's like it's like an exorcism.
1: Yeah, she really just kind of takes it literally out of her body, out of the blood of her body and through any kind of orifice. That just sounds, that's like a weird word, orifice. But anywhere (laughs) there's an orifice, it comes out.
0: After mourning Loki, Thor and Foster then enter a cave, believing that they have failed in stopping Malekith. Suddenly, Foster's cell phone gains reception and they venture deeper into the cave, finding a portal. The portal teleports them safely back to London. Meanwhile, an Einharjar yard. I can't say this word. Guard. In Asgardian Guard. Okay, there you go. Appears in the same area where Loki died and returns to Asgard to inform Odin of what transpired. <laughs> at this point, we all know Loki isn't dead.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. You say you have a tough time pronouncing some of these words. What was that word again that JC had at the end of the Avengers podcast? Colloquially. Co- 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 Colloquially. Too many of the same sounds next to each other. So if you (laughs) can say that, you could say anything, Joe. I
0: appreciate (laughs) the (laughs) I (laughs) J you know you know, I've given a lot of thought to this. The cell phone part. What do you think, Steve?
1: First off, what service does she have? Because I want it. (laughs) If it can go through Portals. On portals. Or if there's some really good cell phone reception somewhere. It's it, absolutely insane. I went when, when it went off, I was just like, huh? What? I was really like thrown for a loop there. And then when he <laughs> well, realized <she> is too <laughs> Yeah. When I realized that it's just the uh the dinner date again, we can't remember I don't remember his name now. That's how Ian. irrelevant he was. Oh no, uh Richard Madison. Yeah, he's on the other line, just shooting, uh, shooting the uh, stuff. <laughs> oh, pardon my French, shooting, but, uh, shooting the stuff. Yeah, he's just like shooting the. Uh... Anyways, um, they're just having a normal conversation, and I'm like, wait a minute, how is this going through? This is insane. And it's like <laughs> something screwy here. <laughs> Well, she calls
0: it out. She's like, "How do I have service?" But it's yeah. kind of—I thought about it. I, I really put forth a little mind power on this one. And if you were right outside my door, and my door was open, you'd probably get pretty good Wi-Fi reception. Yes. A portal is right there. So the so the reception from that point would actually eke through the portal, like a door. What's creating this portal? Well, that's the thing. The conver- gotta... the convergence is creating all the portals. That's the problem with that. this convergence. is that's why, that's why the portals are showing up.
1: So there's like no signal interference with anything like this? I'm I mean, pretty sure no, when they came I... up with
0: the script, they weren't like, okay, let's talk about frequencies of Bluetooth.
1: They're like, we need to find I... a way to get her back here. I mean, the one thing I thought about this was like, okay, this is like worlds apart. Yes, there's a portal. I have a tough time getting a good Wi-Fi reception. From the living room to my bedroom because of the couple walls that are going through. So it's just like, dang, this is just some insane. They, they must have like a little Wi Fi adapter somewhere. I don't know.
0: Maybe London just has one big tower for the island.
1: Well, yeah, could be. Ooh, I wonder if that's what Big Ben is down deep. Yes. It's just it's... one big Wi Fi <laughs> cellular tower.
0: While Jane Foster has been in Asgard, Darcy has been fruitlessly trying to reach S.H.I.E.L.D. when she and Ian see on the news that Dr. Eric Selvig has been running around naked at Stonehenge and has now been put in a retirement home for psychiatric care. They go there to get him out, and he tells them his sanity was shaken after being hypnotized by Loki during the Chitauri invasion. For the past several months, Selvig has studied the effects of the Convergence and has developed devices which can teleport people to different worlds. They meet up with Thor and Foster and Selvig tells them that the people who lived in England after the previous Convergence had built certain objects to create a secret map to where the Convergence would reach its peak. The location is revealed to be Greenwich. After putting two and two together, Foster theorizes that Malekith plans to spread the ether through the portals so that he may destroy all of the worlds at once. Now, this is a tie back to Avengers, because okay. one thing I talked about in the Avengers podcast was how uh, Loki could travel to Earth based off of the idea that he had already been in Selvig's brain, and they talked about quantum tunneling. So Selvig has all this m- stuff in his brain on how to actually manipulate himself through space, and that's what he's putting to work with all of these little staffs that he's got. And I'm like, well, that's okay. a nice little callback to that. It's just a shame that it's, it's done in such a way that you kind of can gloss over it unless you're a super fan to pay attention to any of it.
1: Well, that, and, you know, when Loki shows up in Avengers, it's when the Tesseract is all going crazy nutso.
0: Yes. You know?
1: is that just a coincidence
0: or not? Uh, well, you know? no idea. We know that... Oh, we don't know anything.
1: Yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, it's Thor,
0: I love Thor hanging his hammer on the coat rack. <laughs>
1: It's great. Yeah, I yeah, I'm looking at all your comments here. And i was just like I agree with everything that you have here. Yes. That was just kind of just funny. So, and immediately because we had this discussion last time, so is the rack worthy? No, because Now I know it's an inanimate object, yes. but still, it's fun to think like that.
0: It's a, it's a it is not it does not have a soul. It
1: needs a soul. It
0: needs a soul, a worthy soul. Plus plus the plus when he when he when Odin throws the hammer, he says let he who is worthy. No, a not a he.
1: What about, uh, Selvig's, uh, yeah. I can't pronounce his last name. S- Selvig. His yeah. whole, is this, was this actually the same time, uh, area where we saw him in the, uh, um, oh crap, in the mental institution? Yeah. Okay. And then we see him trying to explain everything to all these patients in there with using shoes and whatnot. And, um, I just looked at that whole scene. as like, it still didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> well, it makes
0: sense from the idea that later on we find out that everything he's saying is correct when it comes to the convergence. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a data dump that's used primarily to let you know that Selvig still can do the science. He just sounds crazy. Uh, I, I also love that Selvig, when he meets Thor, he's like, hey, your, your brother didn't come with you, right? He's like, no, he's dead. He goes, that's great! <laughs> i mean i'm yeah. sorry <laughs>
1: you can't gotta be careful about everything that you say now you just uh, never know <laughs> yeah
0: well they travel to greenwich the next morning and when they arrive they find that a number of portals have opened up above the city a sign that the convergence is nearing its peak malekith soon arrives and thor engages him in battle with both evenly matched The fight takes them through various portals throughout the city, transporting them to different worlds while the two are fighting. The scientists use Selvig's devices to deal with the Dark Elf soldiers, accidentally summoning a Jotunheim beast in the process. Thor and Malekith are soon separated by one of the portals, and Malekith, now unopposed, unleashes the Aether into the portals. Thor soon regroups with his friends and takes Selvig's devices, noting that while the Aether might be indestructible, Malekith himself is not... Using the devices, Thor impales Malekith with them, allowing Foster to teleport pieces of him back to different realms and back to Svartalfheim eventually anyway, stopping the attack. However, Malekith's damaged arc starts to crash and nearly crushes Thor and Foster when Selvig uses the last of his devices to teleport it away. It ends up on Svartalfheim and lands on Malekith, killing the Dark Elf leader. The portals then close and the ordeal is finally over. And you and I talked early in the week and after I watched it a second time yesterday, I think I really enjoy this panel. but I also think that there was too much going on when there was really no need for it.
1: Yeah, it was, it was all over the place. No pun intended. Yes. It was um, from one world to the next. And I don't know if this was them going through all the different realms, mm-hmm. Um but I don't even know if they got to all nine of them. I guess it kind of would have been cool if they if, if they did and they were, like, fighting on it for, like, maybe 10 to 15 seconds right. and then transforming to another realm or just going back and forth. That would have been cool to see all the different realms. But it was just seemed too over the place. But I guess when you're teleporting and using portals, I guess that's kind of what happens.
0: Yeah. And what I love is that as they go through each portal – Mjolnir keeps changing directions from where it's going because it has no idea where it's headed.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that was even good. Even a little bit of physics still stays in there because they've totally transported to a different air, to a different dimension or realm or whatever. Yeah, and it that didn't go through, so it's got to go the long way.
0: So. <laughs> like it's flying around and then it makes a hard left in another direction. <laughs> yeah, we, the ether. M- Malekith is using the ether, and it clearly has some power. It's throwing red spikes at Thor. You would think Thor would be dead at this point, though.
1: Yeah. Uh, again, Unless... I think I talk about the ether in my bottom three in this, uh, more particularly on this scene. But, you know, when I saw the red spikes, yeah, I, I initially thought that was the ether solidifying. Okay. Which would make sense on why it turns into a stone. Well,
0: allow me to throw this idea at you, my friend. Please, sir. Maybe the reason why Thor isn't hurt so much by these spikes is because they aren't real. Remember, it can alter reality.
1: Uh-huh. Mind-blown.
0: Uh-huh. And yeah. here's... You ready, for, you ready for another brain explosion? Yes, sir. Okay. The whole thing that Malekith wants to do is he wants to turn all the realms into darkness. Mm-hmm. So, well, how are you going to do that with a friggin' reality gem? <laughs> you change the reality on all the realms. Yeah. Okay. I can put two and two together now. I get it.
1: Yeah, you have to think really, really deep on that. and You kind of really don't know that until Infinity War. Right. Uh, because you don't know that that's the reality still.
0: Well, sometime, sometime later, Thor returns to Asgard, where Odin congratulates him on his victory despite the crimes he committed to do so. Odin comments that Thor will make a wise king, but Thor responds by saying that he is not ready to bear the weight of the throne. Thor leaves Asgard to reunite with Foster on Earth, but as he he leaves, Odin is revealed to be Loki having faked his death and usurped Odin's throne. But... What? (laughs) How?
1: What? What? (laughs) Loki, you sly bastard. That was awesome. And then credits rolled and I was just like... Oh, what a great way to leave me hanging! But where the hell is Odin? That's a great. Oh, when I I, that 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 just intensified it even more. (laughs) (laughs) That just that just made that end. It was now. It's not great. It's epic. It's epic. Really, (laughs) what what happened to Odin? Is he? Is he in Odin's sleep? Because we never know, or we don't know how. Someone can be in Odin's sleep. (laughs) He just. (laughs) I'm just saying. Where Where have you been? Everybody thought you were dead.
0: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, exile. Does that mean Loki. Okay, let's put some things together here. Loki turns into Odin, Loki sits on the throne, Odin enters the chambers. Now you got Odin looking at Odin. Loki's Odin says, this was an imposter, put it in exile. Could that be how it happens? Oh. That's interesting.
1: You're talking about way back from the beginning of the film, aren't you?
0: Well, that line, my father is no longer in exile, is from Ragnarok. Okay. I think. Might be Ragnarok, it might be Doctor Strange. Okay. Yeah. Later. Lady Sif and Volstag hand over the captured ether to Tanelir Tavan, the collector. Tavon appears eager to take it, but is curious as to why the Asgardians don't just keep it secured in their own vault. Volstag explains that the Tesseract is already on Asgard, and that to keep two Infinity Stones in the same place would be unwise. As they leave, the collector remarks, one down, five to go. Infinity! Yes! <laughs> now we get to play the game of which ones are which?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was great to see that um that that whole scene had me glued, yes, um I was just like, shh, 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 I say anything? yeah, I'm talking, yes. and the collector himself, Benicio del Toro, he is just so charismatic for that role <laughs> that he's absolutely perfect, he's just like weird and awkward and. Yeah. I'm like paying attention because this is like the second or third time I see this movie when I knew what he was going to talk about. So I'm like looking in the background, trying to see all the things that he has collected. And it is just flat out bizarre. Oh, it's a treat for the eyes. (laughs) My biggest question was, Mm -hmm. and I guess you kind of answered it, was why didn't it – why wasn't this stone or – Whatever it is, is it a liquid? Is it a stone? When he has it held up and he's holding it, it almost looks like you see some movement in that container it's got. So I guess it's got to still be a liquid. How does it get to a stone? You know, and um, if it's the reality stone, like like I said, you kind of explained it earlier through the final battle of what Malacca's plan might be. Right. Why didn't they use it to alter reality? Just kind of like how Thanos used it. Granted, he had a gauntlet, but he was just using that one stone Yes, in Infinity War. Well, like, and he completely changed everything right then and there. We never
0: actually see him place the ether into the gauntlet because when, when we see that he's got the reality stone, it's when Quill and company show up on the collector's planet and yeah. they think that they've gotten the best of Thanos and he alters reality like, haha, just kidding. But it's a special gauntlet. And I think the conceit you got to give is, look, when he puts the, I mean, the Tesseract itself is a big cube. You know, he squeezes it, and all of a sudden it becomes a stone. Yeah. Maybe he's got the ether there and he kind of puts it over the gauntlet and it just kind of whoosh, goes right into there as a stone because, you know, it's a special gauntlet.
1: It could be like a little jelly stone.
0: Yeah, it we know that. that. Here's the thing. We know it's a liquid in its, in its primary state because they say yeah. so. There, there's five stones and one is a liquid okay so yeah and as per you know the the reality i mean technically he is altering reality you know he's changing the light to dark
1: oh there you go joe
0: I know, using logic, it's a pain. Uh, <laughs> Thor Thor returns to Earth, where he happily reunites with Foster, unaware that the Jotunheim beast that was teleported to Earth during the Convergence is still running rampant through London, chasing a flock of birds, and apparently nobody's noticed. There's only one reason for this scene, and it's really to show that Thor is on Earth for when they do Age of Ultron.
1: Yeah, I guess I just wish it was a little bit... Well, more than what just that was I guess they would, they tried to show that with a little bit of humor on it I guess yeah I don't know it's maybe a, my expectations on post credit scenes are just a little high well after it's a, all the good ones we've seen
0: we've also we've never is this the first one where we have two post credit scenes
1: uh was there two in Avengers or did they just have the yes, yes the, there, there was, was the Thanos
0: and the shawarma so this is the first single one then Timeout.
1: no they had two oh wait They had two. They had a mid-credit and they had a post-credit. Yes. Thor, the Dark World. Yeah. And they had a mid-credit and a post-credit in Avengers. Right. Okay.
0: But did they have one in Captain America? I don't think so. Did they have one one. in
1: the original Thor? No. they just. So this is the second movie where we had two scenes.
0: Yeah. And one of them is very much like the Ant-Man in the Wasp one where it's the ant drumming.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so I guess maybe this is the start of like, you know, the story moving uh, scene and this, this is kind of the funny scene.
0: Yeah. I well, guess. the movie's over. According to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter rating of 48 percent, 25 fresh reviews and 27 rotten. The critics on an average gave this film a five point five one out of 10. The audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a three point eight six out of five with 76 percent agreeing it's a three or higher. That's a, that's quite the discrepancy.
1: That's a little bit better. And the only question I have is, when we're, how updated is this critic viewing? Those have are, they seen it now? Those are
0: of when it comes
1: out. Okay, see, yeah.
0: Yeah. We, at the Movie Planet, are what it is now.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah.
0: So the movie's over. Steve, were you entertained?
1: Yes, I was. I wanted me wanting more because of the ending. And how did Loki show up? And now that you mentioned Odin, where's Odin? that's where I was at the end. I just wanted to know more, (laughs) especially seeing how they introduced the infinity stones. That's like, they saved all of like the most, I should, don't want to say intense, but uh, the most story driven parts of the entire saga right there at the end, which is, you know, again, it makes you want more Joe. Were you entertained at all?
0: Uh, A little bit, you know, definitely more than I was the first few times. Yeah. I got more out of it knowing now where everything's going yeah hey let's figure out whether the awards got it right and whether this movie is worth your time or not uh at the academy awards no nominations (laughs) the golden globes no nominations
1: (laughs) i i kind of agree with that still yeah that's okay
0: at the saturn awards it was nominated for best comic to film motion picture we talked about this last uh last week with iron man 3 uh but uh I think we can agree. If it's not Iron Man 3, it's Man of Steel.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that's one that's familiar. I would say Man of Steel. Yeah.
0: Uh, for best costumes. It was up for best costumes, actually. And the Hunger Games, Catching Fire one, uh, you know, <laughs> no. Thor, the Dark World is, is amazing.
1: Yeah, they're like in that uh, um, medieval Celtic kind of era. And to put those, to kind of touch back on all of those kind of uh clothing and whatnot, that is, usually those are the films that do really, really well. I think, uh, I'm sure when Lord of the Rings was done, they probably did best, they probably got best costumes or best wardrobe or something like that from even the higher-ups outside of Saturn.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, It was nominated for Best Makeup, a movie called Prisoners won over Evil Dead, Lone Survivor, Rush, The Hobbit, and Thor The Dark World. I I firmly believe that The Hobbit should have won this one just because it's makeup. You know, all those yeah. dwarves look markedly different than who actually plays
1: them. Okay. That's true. Cause I was initially going to say evil dead, just based on the ending scene alone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, best special effects went to gravity. Uh, but Thor was up for that one. You, you made the case last week for the Hobbit.
1: Yeah. The desolation of the There's a big, huge dragon that's on there and how he interacts with everything. And, um, I don't know. I think that's that. That's pretty monumental right there. I mean, gravity here in outer space, and not a whole lot is known how, you know, space works besides the few people that have been there. Right. But this, this is a dragon. You're dealing with something that's not real, and making <laughs> it real. So
0: yeah, and I then, would
1: I would have touched it on the hobby.
0: And then best supporting actor, of course, we talked about before Ben Kingsley winning for Iron Man three. But I think you made the point last week of saying, hey, if it's not Ben Kingsley, it's Tom Hiddleston.
1: Yeah. I I still stand by that one because Tom Hiddleston has a great performance and how his character is from the very beginning all the way through his, I put in air quotes, his death. Um, (laughs) He's the one that kind of has like the little mini arc in the film.
0: Yes. Uh, And the MTV Movie Awards, it got two, three nominations, actually. Uh, Best Hero went to Chris. Well, it went to Henry Cavill for Man of Steel. But RDJ is up there. Martin Freeman, Chris Hemsworth for Thor. Do you still think Henry Cavill should get it over uh, Chris Hemsworth?
1: Yeah, I still agree. I still agree with that
0: one. Okay. Uh, best shirtless performance. Yes. These are actual categories at the MTV Movie Awards. Uh, wow. It goes to Zac Efron for that awkward moment. Uh, Sam Claflin for The Hunger Games, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street, Chris Hemsworth for Thor, and Jennifer Aniston for We're the Millers. I think we all know who should get this award.
1: Yes, Jennifer Aniston. Yes, exactly. For, for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it, without, without a doubt. And finally, fa- goals. <laughs> fa- favorite character. Yes, favorite character is a, a, a category, Stop. and it goes to somebody named Triss from Divergent, which was Shailene Woodley's character in that damn movie. You had Khan from Star Trek Into Darkness, Katniss from The Hunger Games, Loki from Thor The Dark World, and Veronica Mars from Veronica Mars. I'm sorry, Loki wins this one, hands down.
1: Yeah, you you know this one better, I right? because... Thor, the dark is the only one I've seen out of all these.
0: So, okay. Uh, well, Hey, on to our next segment titled top three, bottom three. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie. And then we go up the three things that are bad, unforgivable or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve, what are your top three things to highlight?
1: Um, my top three. Okay. Um, the music. I'll go with that as my number three. And that's pretty, that's putting it down there on a number three. Um, the music is so epic between the fun- with the funeral scene, um, Frigga's death, and as I was um, typing all this stuff and putting in my uh, final comments, I was letting the credits roll, and then I kind of had to stop. and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> during the credits, and just like the Thor theme song, is just so epic. It's yeah. just I, I I I was listening to it before you called me just to get me in the mood Mm -hmm. you know i had the soundtrack playing number two the relationship between thor and loki if they worked together throughout the entire time they would be a great challenge to anybody but i still think in the uh, end game loki has (laughs) his own kind of initiative that he wants and my number one i've said it before i think in in Thor, the first one is Loki, Yep. the god of mischief, manipulation, maniacal. He is just everything all wrapped up into one. And he is the guy that takes, you know, that goes three steps back to go four steps forward. He will have to do A, B, C and D just to go all the way to get to E. It, it's absolutely amazing on what he's willing to do to put the plan in place. And again, at the end, it's just for him to rule. Yeah, So um, those are my top three Uh, Joe, what are yours?
0: Uh, The Loki and Thor scene is my number three Anytime that Loki and Thor are on the screen together I love it And it's kind of interesting finding out how this movie was made Because Loki originally did not have a big role In this movie And they added more Loki scenes in Because he's just so good So if it hadn't been For the fact that they may have had a stale product We might not have gotten All this great Loki and Thor So well done there My number two is The Cursed, letting everyone out of prison except Loki. (laughs) And for good reason, because even The Cursed recognizes, yeah, no, he's too much trouble. (laughs) That's very true. Uh, But my number one is seeing Jane Foster in Asgard. It's kind of a flip because in the first Thor movie we get... You know, Thor is on Earth. He's out of he's a fish out of water. And here we've got Jane and Asgard and she's supposed to be the fish out of water. But she seems to understand things from an earthly standpoint standpoint as well as anybody else on
1: Asgard. Wow, very well said. I like that. As soon as you started talking about it, I knew where you were going with
0: it. It's kind of funny because the first time where I'm like, okay, I'm going to enjoy Jane and Asgard was when they first arrive and she comes to the portal and they do this kind of camera shot of her kind of looking around wondrously. And she goes, can we do that again? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, honey, you're going to do that again as the mighty Thor. Don't worry.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And then when she's on the, the, uh, the table and they've, they're doing the Soul Forge, and she goes, is that a quantum blah, 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 blah? And they're like, well, it's a Soul Forge. And she goes, well, does it blah, 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 blah? Science talk? Yes. It's a quantum field generator. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. she's smarter than anybody else in this damn movie. It's amazing. So, yeah, I love seeing Jane in Asgard. It's, it's a lot of fun. But for everything that's fun, there's also something where it makes them want to run. So let's move to the bottom three. It's time to vent. Steve, what are your bottom three in this movie? Go.
1: The final battle scene, it felt all over the place, no pun intended, (laughs) Um, going from all these different realms. It was just kind of, I mean, uh, heaven forbid if I was in a theater and I wasn't in those uh, stadiums seats, kind of like behind the, um, I don't know, behind the walkway, you know, not sitting up in the front because my head would probably be going left and right, trying to keep up with everything. That was my number three. Number two, treason is just overlooked. What? You know, well, it was all Thor's going against Odin, going against his king. Yes, it's his son. And at the end, you know, but how is it? Kind of talking when he's talking with Thor at the end, and he mentions, you know, that treason against your king. That's like a. That's like you know, for me being a coach, that's like a player coming in and running his own show instead of what the coaches say.
0: But that wasn't the king. Um, that was Loki.
1: Well, you didn't know that until the end. But I just thought that. Uh, I, I guess, but.
0: I mean, okay. Heim, think about this. Heimdall is exiled for his treason. That's why in Ragnarok, he's no longer running that portal.
1: Yes, that is true. Yeah. Okay, so my number one. Um, <laughs> what the? Oh, this will be my number one and my number two. What?
0: Okay. Let me get my pins like, so I can poke holes mean, in this one, too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm sure you will. When (laughs) Malachi has the ether, you know, what does it make you do? Does it just make you more super? And I'm thinking, it's a liquid. Does it make him more enhanced? I'm like, oh, there's another super serum. Here we go again. Another original idea of trying to make somebody super. Um, I just kind of just didn't know exactly what it does to you when it's in the body. Is it just a defense mechanism? Or... You know, what can it be used for just to turn that? But I guess that was, I don't know. I know it eventually becomes a reality stone, but, you know, I never saw that happen. So that's maybe why I was confused on what it really does. Because all you just see, you you see Malachi just projected out. What does it do to that, that actual person? I don't know. Right. I didn't really like, I didn't really understand that. He, this is
0: the second time in two movies you've mentioned the serum idea. Yes. Here is the slippery slope you're going to fall down. What's the infinity gauntlet then?
1: It's the universe wrapped up in one gauntlet.
0: It's a super serum that enhances the abilities of the person. It's another super soldier.
1: Yeah, it really is. That's why Cap is a good equal.
0: Well, here's the thing. You're going to fall down a slippery slope on this one.
1: I know. (laughs) that one i will admit i was stretching i was stretching on that one i know but i guess eh, maybe that helps go into my grade and how i graded it um joe yeah Seeing how mine were so great, please enlighten me in how you really do a bottom three. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. If you can find problems in my bottom three, by all means, call them out. But my number three is the attack on Asgard. It just seems way too easy for the Dark Elves to just slide in there and take out Asgard's defenses. They actually say, in the synopsis, the cursed creates a diversion to bring all the guards down there so they can sneak in. They're not sneaking in from the guards. They're going past Heimdall, who's supposed to be able to see everything. That, that's a problem for me. My number two, I feel like Malekith needed more of a backstory to really feel like there was a threat here. Because he is just a dude.
1: Yeah, I feel like I had that at one point, but then I think I saw years after. No, I agree. You just didn't know. You just kind of had to trust that this guy was all powerful. Yeah. from Back in the day. So, And,
0: and my number one is Odin is a straight up in this movie <laughs> i do not like the way he's portrayed at all he he seems his son just got all nine realms to peace again at least for 20 minutes <laughs> before malekith shows up and goes Haha, just kidding it's not actually but it doesn't every time odin's on the screen he is he's not wise he's a wise
1: No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. He was kind of a... He lived up to his um, sternness from the first film. It almost seemed like, you know, at the end... He was kind of a little different point, a little different person, but then again, it, that wasn't really him. Ah!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fooled you. Fooled you. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> all right, critics rating. We use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average, an A, or a 12 is the highest, an F or a 1 is the lowest. If the movie is so bad it receives Fs from all the hosts, it goes to a new category of movie, the movie planet Global Killer, a category movie that is so bad Bad, it's amazing. So the question is, what do you give Thor the Dark World in the comic book feature film genre? Now I asked you this last week. Steve, do you want to go first or do you want the last word?
1: Uh I'll go first this time. Okie dokie. Um, again, I guess. I'll go first. So my thing is I, the mid-credit scene was sweet. Loki, I'm gonna take a, a line out of Sam. Oh it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> He's twisted and turned more than anybody in this movie, and you just didn't know when it was going to happen. The music is so epic. It's very, very iconic. Now it's getting to the point where when you start hearing this music, you think of Thor. The final scene with Malachi was literally all over the place, and it was controlled by humans. I agree with you, Joe. You should have had a little bit more about Malachi. Malachith. Um, it didn't. I mean, <laughs> Don't look at that. <laughs> uh, it didn't seem overly threatening. It's just a pissed off South Pole elf. Um, I was, uh, I was entertained and it introduced another infinity stone. Um, the big question was how the hell did they get it? How did um, Thor's buddies, how, how did they get it from Malachi himself? They just like, well, we kind of know where it's at. Let's just take a ship over there and go grab it and put it in here and bring it here i want to know how they retrieved it because this is such a powerful substance that i don't think not anybody can just like wield it that's what makes me think that when it went into jane and it didn't do really much as a poem to harm or defend her and defender, i think because it made jane is special which makes more sense now that we got you know the new thor movie coming out um is it a stone or is it a liquid? If it's a stone, how did it become a stone? That was kind of really explained by you. Thank you, Joe. Um, <laughs> it wasn't as epic as the first Thor. I like the first one better, maybe because it was more of an origin. Hmm. Um, but it's still, I found this film a lot easier to follow than Iron Man Three. Um, I think it's better than average, just by a little bit. So I give it a B minus. Joe, yeah. What did you think about this? Because I know there was some times, it, in the beginning, yeah. you were too high on it. No. So I'm curious to want to know what your opinion is now. Okay.
0: Well, first off, let me say that I understand why people crap on this movie. <laughs> Comparatively, it was not one of the most enjoyable in the MCU at this point when they were coming out. And I also think that this movie suffers from the idea that we didn't know how this movie was going to fit in the overall universe. With, that's why we do this show, though, to look back at movies in context and form opinions of them now without the disadvantage of foresight. I will be the first to tell you, I hated Thor The Dark World when I first saw it. The Dark Elves, the ether, Jane Foster coming to Asgard. It just seemed bored, boring and forced. But like many properties in a franchise, we didn't really sense how this movie was going to fit in the overall narrative. It wasn't until Endgame when you started to hear people say, oh great, now Thor the Dark World is necessary watching in this series. Now with the news that Jane Foster is going to be the mighty Thor in Thor Love and Thunder, it actually makes it an interesting watch also. Now casting wise, look, they've never had a problem getting the right people for roles. Everyone that's in this film does exactly what is expected of the character. But the big bugaboo really has to do with Malekith. For some reason, I get the feeling there's a draft of this script where his character means more. I mean, Christopher Eccleston is great, but incredibly non-charismatic, which is probably why they reworked the script to include Loki in more scenes. The plot is basically a villain's revenge plot. There's a lot of exposition in this Uh, that when we first watched it didn't mean a thing to any of us. However, knowing what we know now, we now can watch the film and are introduced to or get questions answered on the infinity stones, the ether, the fact that the ether is a liquid but can also be a stone. How do you extract the ether? Well, we find out in Endgame because Rocket Raccoon and Thor go back and he's got that little contraption to suck it out of her. The fact that the Tesseract is also an Infinity Stone. We didn't really know that yet. Uh, the Collector is in this. The other worlds of the Nine Realms. I mean, we can't just be on Earth and Asgard all the time. We get Jane Foster, who can actually exist in an Asgardian world, and she's got the respect of Frigga and the balls to stand up to Odin. The reason We get the reason why Thor not only spurns the throne, but how he's on Earth prior to Age of Ultron, and... We get a question, which is why Loki is on the throne during Thor Ragnarok. It's answered here. Problem is, we don't know where the hell Odin went. This movie is much better than people remember. Before I watched it this week, I had it between a C- and C+. I mean, I thought that little of it. I thought it was a very average movie. I've now watched it twice, which I don't think I've ever watched this movie twice in the same week. Weak villain... And the fact that they neutered Asgard aside, I think this is better than a C+. I'm giving it a solid B. So that's my grade. You gave it a B minus. I give it a B. This puts Thor the Dark World at an average score of 8.5, or a B. Unfortunately, this means <laughs> that Thor the Dark World is not making it into the Pantheon. However, and those you can argue with this, thanks to Steve's low-ass grade of Iron Man 3... It places it grade-wise above Iron Man 3. Just not in the Pantheon.
1: Oh. <laughs> I'm, that, your,
0: your, our Civil War argument will always be Iron Man 3 at this point.
1: That uh, sounds like it.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> revisiting the last list of movies in the Pantheon, we still got Deadpool and Iron Man and The Dark Knight as your top three. They got perfect scores of A's. Batman Begins is an A-, minus. Marvel's The Avengers is a B+. Captain America, the first Avenger, is a B, and Thor is slightly under it with a, a lower B as Thor. So there you go. There's our top seven. Hasn't changed. I think we'd still agree. Still a damn good list.
1: Yeah, it really is a good list.
0: Let's get our critics' hats off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? Steve? Uh,
1: I definitely liked it. I, I wouldn't push it up to the love part, but no, I definitely liked it. Uh, Joe? I used to sh- on this movie
0: a lot, but watching it this time for the first time after Endgame, and now with the news that Jane Foster is going to be in Thor 4 as the Mighty Thor, I actually got more out of it. So I now like this movie. But the ultimate question would pre college kids love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? Steve? <sighs> this one's tough to say. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: probably, if I had to go with one, none of the above. The battle scenes aren't quite as epic. And I think that they would, I don't think they'd really care about the elves as much. I think that would turn them off big time. What do you think?
0: Your your bargain basement South Pole elves?
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For me, it's none of the above. It seems too much of a slow burn for kids today. And if they think that's a slow one, wait till Winter Soldier next week but if they want to know more about this ether thing and the dark elves that were mentioned in Endgame in quotation marks with Thor, <laughs> mm-hmm. this actually becomes required watching. <laughs> so okay. I, I'm, I'm going to say it's none of the above, but they may feel like they have to do this.
1: Well, I guess that all depends on how vested they are in this, uh, MCU. You know, I guess it all depends on who the people that are watching it, their friends or even their parents. Yeah. I guess if they push on that, uh, Hey, you need to know this. You need to watch this and understand it all the way through. That's what I think might might get kids to a uh, um, to maybe like it, to maybe kind of appreciate it more. But I think if they go in on their own, yeah, I, I totally think that you're right. It is a little bit of a slow film. Yeah, and yeah, the dark the dark elves are just kind of goofy. <laughs>
0: yeah, they're they're ridiculous. That's all I've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Captain America, the Winter Soldier. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify. Give us a four or five star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and we'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching!